Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. I'm your host, Melina Weiskopf, in for Steve Lance tonight. In Ohio's primary elections on Tuesday, Trump-endorsed candidate J.D. Vance won a tight race for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. Vance's victory over six Republican opponents came with just over 32% of the vote. After the, after the endorsement, you know, he came to victory. So Trump is still the kingmaker. The win is seen by some as an indication of former President Donald Trump's influence over the Republican Party as he considers running again in 2024. But they wanted to write a story that this campaign would be the death of Donald Trump's America First agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't the death of the America First agenda. Vance will face his Democratic challenger, U.S. Representative Tim Ryan, in November. But it's not just Vance who got that victory boost. Each of the 22 candidates Trump backed won their primaries in Ohio and Indiana. Here to discuss this a bit further, we're happy to bring on former Congressman Doug Collins. Former Congressman Doug Collins from Georgia, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here with you. So speaking, so we know that the Ohio polls just closed for the primary election. We saw those those results last night. J.D. Vance shot up in the polls and won the primary election, election shortly after former President Trump endorsed him. Now, do you think this indicates how much influence former President Trump has over the Republican Party right now? I, it definitely does. I mean, there's no doubt about it, especially in a race in which you have a lot of candidates who are fighting to be known, fighting to to be a part, especially in an open seat like that one was. The endorsement of the former president is powerful, and we see this because just a little over you know, six weeks ago, J.D. Vance was in fourth place and going nowhere. And last night, he ends up with almost 33%, you know, 22%, 23% to the next closest person, uh, Josh Mandel. So uh, it shows that, there is, that that endorsement still in a Republican primary still carries a great deal of weight. Now, midterms are right around the corner. There's many candidates out there for and there's many hot issues right now that Americans care about for these midterms. What do you think are the most important issues that Americans are looking at as they go to the polls? It's, it's the same as it most of the time is, but even it's even uh, more so this time. It is the it's the bread and butter issues. It's the pocketbook issues. It's is inflation. It's gas prices. It's the things that are driving you know the the mom and dads and and the budgets in the family home. And then there, you add on top of that this sort of government you know overreach over the past few years, whether it be mass mandates in schools, whether it be keeping kids home. Uh, what we saw in uh, Virginia and other places that I think will be a, uh, a good indicator for this uh, cycle as well is that the uh, Democrats' idea that government can solve all the problems is something that people are rejecting and even moderate, uh, you know, and even Democrats are saying, look, we don't need more government control. We need to be more, have more control in our life. And that's what you're seeing in the messaging right now. And we definitely see that with the polls, with uh, President Biden's poll ratings sinking right now. So we'll see what happens there. Now, I want to move on. Uh, we know that one of the hot button issues that voters will likely be concerned about this election cycle is abortion. So with that uproar that we saw at the Supreme Court this week about the possibility of them overturning Roe versus Wade, um, now you see congressional Democrats are saying that they're trying to push a vote to codify Roe versus Wade. Do you think that this is heavily in the mind of Americans as they go to the polls this season? 
Uh, it will be pushed up in the poll. I've, I've said on my podcast and other places that I think that, the, that because the decision will come out this year, and now it's just been heightened by the leak and everything else, is that it will, it will do turnout. And I think that's the issue of the turnout will be the biggest issue. Most people have decided on candidates and the issue of abortion. It's not. I don't think this will be a determination where people were for abortion now become against it or against it or now for. I think it's going to be, you know, you may have some in the middle who may not have liked a complete ban. They want to see how their state's reacting. But I think more of anything, it'll just be more of a, a turnout issue uh, than it will be an actual issue that people are struggling with. Now I want to talk about, step back and talk about the leak itself. So this draft leak is unprecedented. For information about how justice justice's plan to rule being released to the public, this is just something you don't hear about. So what kind of precedent do you think that this does set for the nation's highest court? And what do you suggest needs to be done to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, I think Judge Roberts handled it perfectly. They're going to have an, they, for now, he's going to have an internal investigation with the Marshal's Office of the Supreme Court. They're going to have that uh, going on. And and then they need to get to the bottom of it because this is, they don't, they can't handle their business with leaking going on. This is, my concern is this leak, though, was meant for a coercive purposes, trying to get maybe a justice to change their mind. And this is just something that we can't have happen, especially in the in the court, which values that idea of privacy, values that idea of, of being able to work decisions out before they're actually published. Thank you for weighing in on that. Former Congressman Doug Collins from Georgia. Thanks much. Have a great day. And now Republicans are pressing for an investigation into this leak. Congressman James Comer and 18 other Republicans are urging Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate it. The leak, which was a draft opinion revealing that Roe v. Wade could be overturned, is believed to be the first of its kind in history. Republican Congressman Bob Gibbs says the leak is a blatant violation of the confidentiality of all nine justices. He says it's also a breach of trust that the justices can deliberate any case based on the merits rather than mob pressure. The Republicans are asking the Justice Department for documents on the investigation of the leak and a description of the possible laws that were violated. Politico published the leaked 98-page draft opinion on Monday and said the source was a person familiar with the court's proceedings. Approximately 63 people are considered suspects. And with Roe v. Wade on the cusp of being overturned, we could see nearly half of the country tightening up their laws on abortion or even banning it outright. To discuss what's expected from this historic court decision and the power it gives back to the states, we sat down earlier with attorney and president of Convention of the States, Mark Meckler. So Mark, we know that Roe versus Wade won't actually create restrictions on abortions throughout the states, but it simply just gives the states more power to make those decisions themselves. Do you think that this is on the right direction? Yeah, I think the whole country needs to head this direction, and I actually think it's sort of the crux issue in the United States right now. There's so much divisiveness. We don't like each other. New Yorkers don't like people in Mississippi and vice versa. And the way you solve that problem and you create harmony in the nation is acknowledge that we were formed on a federalist basis and go back to that federalist basis, allowing the states to decide for themselves. 
So what can we expect to see state by state if this is overturned? What states can we expect to see start tightening up their abortion laws? What, who can we expect to see protecting those abortion laws? What do you expect? Well, right now there are 13 states that have what are called trigger laws. So they've already passed a variety of laws restricting or outlawing abortion if Roe versus Wade is overturned. So we're going to see pretty serious restrictions in 13 states. Uh, 26 states look like they actually could ultimately outlaw abortion, and they'll have to get their legislatures back in session and pass the appropriate laws. But I think ultimately what we're going to see is a majority of states with severe restrictions or a total outlawing of abortion. Now I want to zoom out a little bit and just talk about how this will, how this implications for our nation as a whole. Do you think that this some way indicates that the Supreme Court justices are going in a direction that would return more to a federalist type society? I do think it's an indicator of that. I also think it's an important indicator that they're willing to overturn precedent, uh, willing to step aside from what they call stare decisis, meaning something's already been decided if it's a bad decision. Roe versus Wade, clearly a bad legal decision. A lot of scholars on the left would agree with it, that it's a bad decision. They like the policy, but the legal reasoning was bad. So I think it's very healthy when the court is willing to step away from bad precedent. And I think we're going to see more and more of this in the future. Now, zooming out on how this can apply to other areas, do you think that there are other rulings that the Supreme Court has made in the past that possibly take uh, give the federal government too much control over the states and should be looked at again? I do. I think one of the most important ones, it might sound a little esoteric to, to listeners or viewers, is the Chevron decision. And there's something called Chevron deference. And what it says basically is administrative agencies get a lot of deference in interpreting their own rules. They can change those interpretations and the courts weren't supposed to get involved. The court has been pushing back on Chevron deference for the last several cycles, and I expect ultimately to see Chevron overturned. Now, again, that all sounds very legal and, and legalistic. What it actually means is we're going to see a lot less of administrative agencies with the deference to impose their will on Americans in unfortunate and unfair ways. So you do a lot of work on giving rights to the states. Do you, why, why is it important to go in this direction? Why is federalism an important value? Federalism is at the very root of the founding of the nation. When, when we founded this nation, when the convention was held in 1787, the men in that convention didn't trust each other. They were from different states. They didn't like each other. They had different interests, different cultures, and they designed a government that would allow us to exist in harmony together by leaving a very limited amount of power in the hands of the federal government, what we call the enumerated powers, and giving the rest to the people in the states. And we've centralized that power over the centuries. It's causing a lot of strife and discord in America. And I think if we want to preserve the union, if we want to cheat history and, and make the republic survive, we have to go back to that federalist idea. So based on how our country, the principles of our country when it was founded, where is that line between where the federal government should have control, what they should have control over versus the state? It's specified pretty clearly in the Constitution, 17 areas of enumerated powers are given to the federal government. If you look up the 17 enumerated powers, you can find that very easily online. That's what the federal government should be limited to doing. And that means, to give you some specific ex examples, they were never meant to be involved in education or energy or health care or environment. And these are all policy areas that the states are highly capable of handling, should handle, and that leaves it closer to the people. Wow, it seems like a lot of the areas have been overstepped here. So. Yeah, I mean, the courts have been very aggressive in this. So Congress acts, the courts uphold it, give them a lot of power under what's called the Commerce Clause for regulating interstate commerce, commerce between the states. And that needs to be clawed back and given back to the people in the states. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.
I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.